On this episode of Take Talks Business, I speak with Gino Colombara, Executive Director, Alzheimer's Association, Southeastern Virginia Chapter. Gino, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Take Talks Business. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Well, I'm grateful to you and uh, half of us Chamber of Commerce for giving me this opportunity. It's always great to expand awareness and uh, and education about uh, local community resources that are available to those uh, that we serve. Absolutely. So I cannot start this conversation without without doing one thing. And, yeah. and because of the fact that I know this has probably been going on as long as the association has existed, how do you properly say the association's name? Alzheimer's Association. Perfect. Perfect. I, I just want to get that out there because right. I know <laughs> half of us have probably been saying it wrong our entire lives. Right. So, um, well, so before we jump too much into the association itself, um, as a local leader of both the organization and someone who, who represents our community, can you give our listeners uh, some background about yourself professionally and um, your role now leading in with uh, Alzheimer's? Sure thing. Um, you know, my career path was never uh, this, believe it or not, but everything that I've done in my career has led me up to where I am today. Uh, it all began when I graduated from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh back in uh, 1979. I had a broadcast journalism degree. And believe it or not, my first job right out of college, I worked for the Muscular Dystrophy Association as their PR uh, director in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I worked for them for about six months and then I just really got uh, the bug to travel and, and uh, I decided I found out, and I always was interested in the military, so I found out that Navy had a uh, broadcast journalism rating. And so I enlisted in the Navy and became a Naval broadcast journalist. And uh, I, I only stayed in the Navy about eight years. Uh, I served half of that four years in Sicily, Saganella, Sicily, and uh, four years in Vicenza, Italy. Uh, and it was just a tremendous experience. Um, I, I got a preface here that I'm an only child. And my mother died when I was 10. So it was really pretty much me and my father growing up together for the majority of my life. Uh, during uh, the latter part of my time in the Navy while I was in Vicenza, Italy, uh, my dad was living in Florida. And uh, you know, I would call him every Sunday just to connect with him and see how he was doing. And one Sunday, there was no answer. So I just thought, well, maybe he just stepped out. And then I called a little later, the next day, the next day, nothing. Uh, I called the management uh, of uh, the apartment complex that he was in. They went there and um, got into the apartment and no one was there. And some neighbors said that they saw him leave with some suitcases. Well, that began a two month uh, journey to try to find him. Uh, he was missing for two months. Um, and he went, <clears throat> in fact, I, I, here I am in Italy uh, and other than my wife's family, I have no fa other family in the United States. All my family is in Italy. Uh, so my wife's uh, girlfriend was married to a Philadelphia uh, detective, and he was doing some work to try to see if they could locate him. And they found part of his suitcases in the um, uh, Philadelphia Port Authority, and then uh, a suitcase in the New York Port Authority, and a stop dead there. 
So, uh, so you can imagine it was just a tremendously difficult time for, um, especially being that far away and talk about feeling like you had no control. Um, you know, so um, I contacted my dad's bank in New York because he would get his pension check from that bank and he would have to call them every quarter to verify his uh, address. And um, sure enough, he called the bank. Now he called the bank from Bellevue Hospital. He was mugged in New York, didn't have any identification on him, didn't say that he had any family, did not give his proper name. Bellevue kept him in the hospital for a month because they knew he was not a street person. And, and I'm grateful to this day for that, or else I don't think I would have ever found him. But he did call the Bank of New York to get his pension check. The bank called the Red Cross. The Red Cross uh, contacted uh, the, the branch uh, in Vicenza, Italy. At two o'clock in the morning, I had security knocking on my door saying that they found my father. They took me wow. down to the base. I called him uh, at Bellevue Hospital and it was like nothing ever happened. It was like nothing ever happened. Now my dad always was, had an eccentric kind of personality, very outgoing, vibrant, you know. Uh, and so, but all the telltale signs of dementia were there. I just didn't see it to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, so when I, I got on a plane that same morning to New York and I went to Bellevue, met with them, they said they diagnosed him with mid-stage senility, they called it at that time. And this is back again in 1986. <clears throat> and uh, so I immediately um, got connected with Catholic Charities. And uh, they helped me find an assisted living residential community in upstate New York that was run by the Catholic Church. Uh, and, um, and that was near where my sister-in-law lived, which was great. <clears throat> so he stayed there for a time. <clears throat> While he was there, he started to become more agitated and aggressive and they were finding it more difficult to, to deal with him. Uh, so. I got out of the Navy in 1988, moved to Newport News in 1989. Uh, I worked for a company called Computer Sciences Corporation doing interactive video disc training. And uh, at that time, uh, got him officially diagnosed and it was mid-stage Alzheimer's at that time. So that's really the first time I ever heard of that. In fact, I remember one time he was in Italy with me and we were watching a 60 Minutes program and they were talking about Alzheimer's. And I started hearing about it and I said, Nah, that's not him. You know, even though it just yeah. seems to relate. So it just really tells you that so much education is needed concerning this disease, especially at that time. So, uh, as you well can imagine, at that time I have a new job. I was, you know, I, I've been married since 1986. My wife is here with me, but it was still a very little lonely time because there was very little awareness about the disease in both the social service and the medical community. And, you know, um, and he was in three residential communities because of his agitation and aggressiveness. And sometimes he would have good days and sometimes he would have bad days. And the thing that I, uh, that I always thought that when he had those good days, I thought they were an indication of what was to come, that things were getting better, but that certainly was not the case. Um, and, you know, although I knew about the association, uh, I, like many people, uh, thought the association was solely focused on 
research, which is great. But I thought, well, what could they do for me today? You know, I, I finally connected with the association about six months before my dad passed away uh, with the local chapter. Um, and it was really funny. I remember getting, I called them, I left a message, the local chapter here. I called them and left a message. They called me back about, you know, a few days later. And I got the message and they said, oh, please reach out. Da, da, da. And I said, well, you know, my dad's having some good days. I don't think I need them, you know, and I never connected. So uh, I finally uh, did connect, like I said, six months before he passed. And I became a public policy advocate, sharing my voice, sharing my story. I participated in uh, the walk to end Alzheimer's. At that time, it was called the memory walk. Uh, and the following year, I uh, chaired the walk and then was asked to serve on the local board of directors. Now, the chapter at that time was relatively small. It had only four staff members. And uh, during my service on the board, uh, the chapter ultimately uh, began a search for an executive director because the existing executive director moved on to another position. So I spoke to my wife and, and you know, I, I got to say, I'll be honest, I had a hard time. You know, all of a sudden I was caregiving 24-7, you know, working all day and then going to the facilities, feeding him, bathing him. It was 24 seven uh, all around. And so uh, I said to my wife, you know, I need to do something more fulfilling where I'm making a difference. And, you know, and I said, I really wanted to apply for this position. And, uh, and, uh, and she said, yeah, go for it. And I said, if I got it, I would, I would do it for five years. So I resigned uh, from the board, applied for the position. I was offered the position and here I am 27 years later. <laughs> so uh, wow. the five year plan did not work, <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that was totally fine, totally fine. But you know, it just speaks to uh, how interesting it is where life's journey takes you because I certainly would never want to have had my dad had to deal with uh, Alzheimer's, but um, you know, the ultimate road that I was on at least for me, prepare me for the role that I'm currently in. You know, I'm forever grateful to the Red Cross and Catholic Charities. That really showed me the importance of cognitivity to local community resources that can help you, that you might not be aware of. I was a caregiver, so I know the emotional and financial challenges that families face. I know the importance of education and connection to resources, as I mentioned, and I know how important it is to work for a company and for me at that time, as I mentioned, it was Computer Sciences Corporation that understood the balance of me fulfilling my employment obligations as well as my caregiving responsibilities. And that's why it's really important that increased awareness about this disease is, uh, is part of a, com a company culture because I can guarantee you that every company has someone dealing with Alzheimer's. So that's my story of how I got here. And I tell you, um, this has been a tremendous experience. You know, although I'm a, a staff member, uh, it's really a passion for me because I've lived it. And I feel that's I can great. really show that empathy as most of the staff within the association, uh, they have experienced this one way or another. That's great. So you, you spoke about people's uh, perception of the organization. Um, and especially for the business leaders that are listening to this podcast, knowing that, that that's the majority of our, our audience, um, 
what are some of those misconceptions and, and what are some of those services uh, that are provided that maybe aren't kind of mm -hmm. in the general aware awareness? Sure. Well, you know, I, I think number one, I think uh, ultimately there's still a stigma about Alzheimer's disease, you know, and I think that's unfortunate. I think it's been reduced significantly since when I was dealing with it uh, because, uh, you know, it seems because anytime you're dealing with something with the brain, uh, there's a stigma attached to it, unfortunately. And, but this is a disease like any other disease and has to be treated as such. I think too, unless you're, you've, you've walked the road of Alzheimer's or been on that road, you really don't understand Alzheimer's and or dementia. Uh, so I think you know that awareness building is so very important because we have many people who are engaged with our association who've never been, uh, luckily have not been affected by the disease, but they believe so much in the mission that they want to help advance it. So that way, uh, hopefully uh, they, their kids don't have to deal with it with them or what have you. You know, nationwide, there's about um, 6 million uh, Americans with Alzheimer's disease and 11 million Americans providing unpaid care at a value of $257 billion. So again, uh, you know, the conception that uh, we are just research yeah, that's a big part of what we're doing. We're a leader in that, but we have chapters on the ground like our chapter here in Southeastern Virginia that can help with the daily challenges uh, that people are going through the disease and that can connect them to the wonderful community resources that we have around us. And, uh, you know, speaking of finances, just direct care costs for Alzheimer's uh, this year is estimated to be $355 billion. And that's $50 billion more than last year. And the majority of that, about 67%, is borne by Medicare and Medicaid. So this is a really, um, uh, there is an urgent need here. Uh, this is a public um, health crisis that we are dealing with. And, uh, and people need to become aware of that. And people need to know that there are so many different ways to engage and participate. And you know, one of the simplest way is how I started out is sharing your voice as an advocate. That makes a huge, huge difference. Gotcha. So uh, over the last two and a half decades, where, what have you seen as being the, uh, the biggest change between your association and the business community? Well, I think uh, the biggest change is the awareness. Uh, you know, I think that is definitely key. I think more and more people are becoming aware of Alzheimer's. Uh, or some form of dementia. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, this doesn't only affect us at home, but as I mentioned before, it affects the workplace. And I just want to share just some statistics with you, which I think are really re relevant for the chamber community. On average, six in 10 caregivers are employed. And these individuals work about 35 hours a week while caregiving, which in and of itself is a full-time job as well. We often say that caregiving is the 36 hour day. And as I mentioned before, you know, I was a caregiver and because of that 36 hour day and because of working in caregiver, I actually got sick. Now, what would have happened if I got sick or something or, you know, happened to me that I could no longer be an advocate for my father. So we really try to educate our caregivers about that. And, you know, also as symptoms worsen for the affected individual, the care required by the family can result in increased stress depression, 
new health problems and depleted income and finances due in part to the disruptions in employment and paying for uh, health care or other services. And 83% of care provided at home is delivered by family members, friends, or unpaid caregivers. And just in the state of Virginia, there are 150,000 people diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and there are 349,000 caregivers providing unpaid care at a value of $7.8 billion. And due to this, 57% of employed caregivers have to go in late, leave early, or take time off due to caregiving needs, or actually resign completely because the caregiving burden has gotten, uh, gotten that uh, uh, overwhelming. So, uh, so again, I think the real shift that I have seen is the increased awareness because education is power. Education right now is, is the treatment until we find that magic bullet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because when people know that there is people around them that can empathize, can listen, and can help create an action plan to help them navigate the maze of the disease, it makes it much more easier for the care providers and also the affected individuals. We really promote early detection. So that way, the individual who's affected can take part in the planning of their future. So unlike for me, I had to make all those really uh, life decisions for my father when he no longer could. I had to become his guardian, which was emotionally devastating for me at the time. Uh, and, 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 you know, and I had to make some very difficult decisions. And I tell you, at that time, I wasn't prepared to make it. So having that support network makes a huge difference. Well, that brings up a good point, because I was going to ask you, as you well know, because you experienced it yourself, um, a lot of those of us who are in the nonprofit world um, didn't start out that way. Right. Um, we, we didn't go to school for it. We didn't graduate with a degree for it. We, um, in many cases, much like you, we, we actually got involved on a volunteer side and, and in one way or the other eventually led into a role within that uh, nonprofit environment. Having now done so for, for two and a half decades, what's that one or two lessons learned along the way that you, you look back on and, and think, man, I really wish I knew then what I know now? Well, uh, you know, I think um, it's really interesting, uh, that question, because, you know, we're always learning. Even after 27 years, I continually learn every day. And I think part of that is because the changing landscape of uh, the disease and about uh, the needs uh, associated with the disease by, uh, that are affecting our constituents. Uh, so the association of a hall is adapting and changing every day based on those needs. And I think that is what's saying. I mean, considering compared to other uh, voluntary health organizations, the Alzheimer's Association is relatively young. We were only established in 1980 and our chapter was established in 1982. So we're relatively young uh, as an organization. So we, uh, you know, I, I always say like in the beginning times of this association, we were kind of shooting from the hip to try to keep up with the pace of the need. You yeah. know, because number one, we had to make people feel comfortable about reaching out to engage and ask for help and, 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 and really make sure that uh, they got the help they need. We had to, to build that, that cadre of community partnerships so that way we could be a conduit to that. Because 
this disease cannot be uh, addressed solely by the Alzheimer's Association and cannot be addressed by any one company or corporate entity. It is a community effort. We all have uh, our niche and we feed into one another for that. So that's what I see. What I see in these past 27 years that I've been with the association is a reduction in stigma, although there's still some, but the increased awareness and education about the disease, more people engaging and, and, and getting, uh, taking part in advocacy, um, uh, which, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, the association is a leader, a worldwide leader in Alzheimer's research. And that is a forefront of our mission. But our advocates are phenomenal nationwide. Right now, federal research funding is at $3.1 billion. 10 years ago, it was at 455 million. So in a short 10 year span, you can see the increase. And that, the significant part of that increase probably happened in the last six years. Uh, and we're asking for another 289 million for this coming federal budget year. So um, the need is there, I mean, uh, big time. But, you, but this, is, this is really validation and it shows the evidence the evidence, uh, how evident the need is because our representatives are getting older and they're seeing the need for this uh, support. So that's why yeah. they know they need to, to, to fund research on a federal level. And, you know, the association has been involved with every research effort as well, you know, setting the groundwork for that. So, yeah. uh, you know, so I think it's, it's, it's the, the engagement of people along the way within those years and how we okay. have Really, uh, I'm really proud of how we've uh, just kind of really addressed the needs, worked as a collective uh, group to, to you know, engage communities to deal with those needs. That's great. Well, and you mentioned being proud of what you've done. Um, I know this is probably a big ask for, for the number of years you've been able to do this, but is there that one event, that one program, that one thing that you were able to change that you're just exceptionally proud of when you look back over those years? Well, you know, the, the main thing that I, I'm extremely proud of, um, you know, is the meaningful, impactful difference we make uh, to the lives of those in our local community. And what really uh, makes me very proud and validates what we do is when I get a note from a caregiver, uh, when I get a call saying, you made the difference when people remember me from 20 years ago, you know, and uh, and uh, and thank me for that, and thank the, you know our staff and things of like that. So to me, that's an indication that uh, you know we've we're doing the right thing in terms of connecting with people and stuff. You know, um, uh, there's a lot of things that I'm really extremely proud of. You know, we're really focused on diversity and outreach and really uh, connecting and engaging with our underserved communities. And I'm extremely proud that this year we have developed several partnerships to deliver programs and services uh, to commu underserved communities impacting uh, 5,300 uh, lives in our local area. I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of our valued community partners who are working side by side with us to make the difference uh, to those people navigating this disease. I'm extremely proud that the association is the world's largest nonprofit funder for Alzheimer's research. And we have played a vital role, as I said before, in every, every significant development in Alzheimer's research. And I'm a really extremely proud of the federal research funding advances we've made in the past 10 years. And I don't know if you, if you and those listening 
saw the December issue of uh, Time Magazine. But for the first time ever, uh, the Alzheimer's Association Magazine is in Time Magazine. So the, you'll see, if you flip it over, wow. you see the first 13 pages of the magazine dedicated to our Alls Magazine, which is a quarterly issue. And the front cover is Tony Bennett, who recently disclosed yes. that he has Alzheimer's. To me, that really is evident of um, the great work that we are doing and the partnership we're making, not only locally, statewide, but nationally, and also globally. We are, like I said, a global leader in Alzheimer's research. And you had mentioned before, you know, when, when companies connect with us, you know, we, all our family services are free. We have uh, an 800 line, uh, which is 24 seven. And that number is 872, 800, 872-3900. Uh, we uh, do support groups. Uh, we have an award-winning uh, website. And going back to that 800 number, that can be accessed in 200 different languages. Wow. And you, can, you will get a live clinically trained professional when you, they call and whether it's two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we do care wow. consultations to help create action plans for, for families. We have safety programs to address wandering. I wish I knew about it when my dad wandered away, right? Yeah. Uh, we have early stage socialization and uh, education programs. We partner with the Chrysler Museum. We train their docents so we can bring our early stage uh, um, family and their families uh, to the Chrysler and get individualized tours for them. And the docents are trained on how to, to deal with uh, that population. We do a lot of family caregiver training. We have a trial match program, which is actually a matching service. So if you wanted to get involved in a clinical trial, but you didn't want to go, you didn't even know how to get started to see what's available, you just uh, go on the association's uh, trial match program, fill out a profile, say what your criteria is, and then the association sends you, critical, uh, sends you clinical trials that meets your criteria so you can get involved. Perfect. So all our family services are free and that's due to wonderful community support. And when we engage with community partners, uh, corporate partners, we lead with our mission first. We say, hey, we'd like to come in. We can provide a, a, a training on the warning signs of Alzheimer's, what the association offers, healthy living habits to help reduce uh, risk reduction, uh, research updates, and so much more. And when we do that, people are like amazed. It's like, oh my, I didn't know this was in our backyard. Yeah. So that is what's truly uh, important. And like I said before, I think uh, just in my 27 years, I think, you know, in, in the past, it was the association reaching out to corporate entities first. Now yeah. we're seeing the opposite. Corporate entities are reaching out to us first to say, hey, I'd like to engage with you. What can we do? We need help for our uh, staff. Uh, and, and we work as truly partners in the community. Perfect. Yeah. Well, and before we wrap up, just to make sure for anybody who does want to reach out from within the business community, remind me again, uh, phone number and uh, best uh, website to reach out to you at. Sure. Well, our phone number is 757-459-2405. But the important number to really think of, and you can call this even if you wanted to reach out to our local chapter, is 800-272-3900. If anyone is dealing with this disease and just needs some help, no, no matter what day of the uh, time of day or night, that number is really critical. Our, our website is alz.org 
forward slash S-E-V-A for Southeastern Virginia. And when you access that, you can get our weekly e-newsletter that tells you all about our programs, national news research updates, uh, our, our, our various events that uh, we have a lot of corporate entities that support us for the walk to end Alzheimer's, you know, our longest day event, you know, uh, uh, and also all our educational programs, our support groups, things that are how people can get engaged. And, uh, and then if they want to email us, they can email us at infosiva, infosiva at alz.org. So, you know, we uh, really encourage um, uh, the local corporate community to take advantage of us and, uh, and allow us to help their staff and constituents uh, to better understand this disease and what resources are available to them. Perfect. Well, Gino, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and talk to the listeners of Take Talks Business. Um, and appreciate all you and your team are doing for the, uh, the community and, and Hampton Roads. Well, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I wish Absolutely. you the best of holidays and a tremendous 2022. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners of Take Talks Business. We'll catch you on the next episode.